Welcome to the Western Sports Podcast. Due to cancellations, we've had a week off. And like many of our Premier League counterparts, we've been on a training camp. But unfortunately, unlike our Premier League counterparts, we haven't managed to stretch the budget to get us a trip to Dubai. Instead, we've been hunkering, hunkering down in the back room of the Arrow, working on our enunciation. We've decided to try and make this podcast slightly more grassroots orientated, but we've still a few little issues on top at the top end of football. And if your favourite bit is listening to some unformed opinions, there's still some there for you. On this note, we'd love your questions and queries about grassroots football. You can email us or use our social media to get in touch. Use the hashtag WFCPod. Our predictor score still has a prize pot of £1,000 for just £1 stake. All you've got to do is guess the correct score for three games. Dead easy. All of our players have slips or get in touch via the website or email. It's Wednesday the 13th of February. With me tonight, manager Harry Gibbs and Ant Heron. We're all trying to concentrate on this and not get too excited over the fact Spurs have just scored against Dortmund. Okay, guys, since we last did a pod, we've had uh, two games. Uh, the first one was a week ago today where we travelled to Shaftesbury. Um, we'd had a bit of rain in the couple of days in the build-up and we were a little unsure whether the, the game would get to go ahead. Uh, but with a dry day, um, it was feeling positive the game went ahead but we weren't sure if that was good because the first team didn't have a game on that day and we didn't know what to expect and when we got there the rain started and it was a bit of a tricky conditions and we didn't know what to expect I was stuck in a hotel all week like Wellesley yeah. <laughs> you didn't play did you Harry how were you feeling about the conditions yeah I was uh, I was quite surprised <laughs> the game was on to start with because um, the day before was bucketing down and it was uh, pretty pretty wet but on the actual day it dried up and I, even then I still expected it to be on because of the reserve team I thought they'd save it for the first team and then when we turned out the pitch was in good condition and you can see why the game was on yeah and uh, then it absolutely hammered down for 90 minutes <laughs> Which, but obviously luckily they'd already got the game on and started so that was the main thing and obviously in the end we're glad, we're glad they did get it on and you had to make a few changes um, Flem, Ant and Carney were all um, skiving off so um, obviously slightly disruptive but it didn't take long two minutes and we're 1-0 up what a great start and yeah. change of formation to accommodate and it yeah. went well yeah, that's one of those things that sometimes it just goes right for you um, we put two up top and within two minutes Harry and Murph just linked up beautifully and played a 1-2 with Harry showing his pace getting behind and Harry Looked like he sort of overdid it, but actually ended up putting a perfect ball across the box for Nick Voss, who slotted away in the empty net. Yeah, it was a great start. And like I say, when you change formation, you don't expect it to sort of pay off that early. But yeah, it, it did sort of, yeah, it did pay off quickly. <laughs> so not too bad. And um, I guess, I mean, overall, the first half was sort of evenish. It was a, a bit end-to-endy and um, they sort of started to come into the game a little bit. But probably we created the better chances throughout the first half. Yes, yeah, without a doubt. I thought that they were quite territorial with the ball. They had it in good areas, but our shape was good. We were always quite comfortable, and they didn't really get in behind us at all first half. I think Swats might have made one save towards the end of the half, but every time we broke, I thought we were going to score, and we did actually miss three big chances in the first half. I think Harry basically had an empty goal and missed, missed quite an easy chance. Um, yeah, so I think the first one was um, Sweeter had the ball on the edge of the box, somehow cutting on his on his right foot, yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, caught it quite well. Yeah, that went like a rocket. It'd come on the underside of the bar, off the off the line, and come back out again. Looked I like think, it. Looked the keeper like got it, a touch. Yeah, it looked, looked like the keeper got a touch, and then did it fall to Harry? He put Harry. it in, but he was offside, so yeah. that was unfortunate. But yeah, and then. The chance after that. So I think the next one was the one where the, the keeper dithered a little bit and then passed the ball straight to Harry. Ah, yeah, and that was that was the basically the open, was that yeah. the open goal? Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. and the, then Harry had a, a did Harry have a second goal disallowed as well? Offside. Yeah, so I think um, the next one was um, Murph sort of chased down and um, got a rebound, and again it fell to Harry who tapped home, but unfortunately was was offside again. Um, difficult to tell from where you are obviously and where I am on the pitch but it's um, I think the first one definitely looked offside and the second one was too close to tell from where we were but we have to just take the linesman's decision as always the officials are spot on (laughs) (laughs) okay so 1-0 at half time and it had been pretty like I say pretty even possession but we definitely had the better chances and probably Shaftesbury hadn't had any chances but the second half was 
probably a lot more even as we were playing down the slope in the second half but oddly there was quite a strong wind blowing up the pitch yeah I thought their, their midfield were good to be fair and they, they dictated a lot of the play and their the, the best players were in the middle of the park so almost playing with the hill helped them a little bit because the ball was holding up it wasn't running away because of the wet and it did sort of seem like they became more threatening and I think we had to thank Swats on three occasions where he made big saves and in key moments as well but luckily we, we, we were still dangerous on the counter throughout do you know what I mean even though they were always getting closer and closer to our box sort of thing we, every time we broke it still looked like we were going to be we were going to score on the break at all times so 1-0 up uh, they had a good chance there I guess they were, I think it was either the full back in the end who came up from the right and sort of from the edge of the corner of the box he sort of angled a it was a bit of a daisy cutter, if you want to describe it. It's out across the box, and when he hit it, it looked like it was going to nestle in the far corner, but somehow it just sort of clipped the inside of the post and bounced back out. A good chance, but a yeah. bit of luck. Yeah, I think, did it bobble over Swats to get oh, there as well? Yeah. It was, yeah, it was a bit of Because from the angle I was, it looked like it was going straight at Swats, and I thought Swats saved it. But someone said to me after the game, they actually hit the post. And I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't tell from the angle we were, so I was quite surprised it managed to get that far, because... It looked well, like I say, it looked like Swats had it covered, but yeah, they were always dangerous in that in the second half. So we, we did ride our luck on a few occasions, I must say. And then came the moment which ultimately sealed the game, uh, and it sort of felt like that was a, a defining moment at the time. Um, we managed to break, and Murphs, Liam, and Carney all combine, and we end up going two 0 up. Yeah, yeah, great, great, uh, great move. And then I think Murph laid it back to Carney. Carney's shot was going quite well wide, but the big deflection took it in, I think. <laughs> I think he was probably aiming for that deflection, but you never know. No. Uh, and just when you think it's going to be a bit comfortable, I mean, there's still sort of 20-odd minutes to go, um, Shastri get right back into it. It's uh, a ball into the box. It's a fantastic take by um, their player and a, and a good finish as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think maybe it was that cushion that we gave ourselves we maybe just dropped off a little bit because we weren't so we almost relaxed because we thought we'd sealed the game off and when they came straight back at us with, I think it was 15 minutes left as well wasn't it and all of a sudden we were like right backs against the wall again and uh, yeah it was their, that was their best move of the game and it was well couldn't have really done a lot about the goal to be honest the finish the finish was a good finish went top bins and yeah it was a good move from them okay. um, so we did manage to hang on we took on a 2-1 win I mean I thought it was a very entertaining game. I think if you were there watching it, you'd have uh, felt you got your money's worth, I think. And um, sort of big moments in the game. Obviously, like you said, Swats made some great saves, but certainly like Henry and Barrett's work rate in the middle there possibly won us the game overall. Yeah, I think, um, I think by 80 minutes, we have three players coming down with cramp. And I think like, uh, Scott Smith had to come off. Uh, Barrett... Barrett covered pretty much every blade of grass that game twice uh, yeah twice and then uh, I think Don brought on the magic Mars bar and he had a second lease of life after that as well <laughs> he should have got himself two goals in the last ten minutes but yeah it was a, g- a great great team performance and the work rate from everybody was just good to see and the commitment's good in this sort of carrying into each game at the moment which hopefully it continues through to the end of the season because it's uh, certainly showing rewards where we are in the league at the moment because of, the, because of everyone's work great and it's always good to come off the pitch at the end of a game which is a difficult, difficult pitch very heavy pitch difficult conditions to play in against a, a good side and it, it, it's a bit of a battle at times but it certainly feel, makes the three points seem a lot better I think so So that was a three points picked up on the Wednesday of last week then we on Saturday uh, we welcomed Blandford up at Alvington now we played Blandford two weeks previous uh, away and we won 2-1 which obviously you've heard us talk about before uh, again there was a, a lot of rain overnight which wasn't forecast there was a lot of rain in the morning which wasn't forecast and we were lucky to get the game on I guess to a degree but the pitch held up pretty well it drained nicely in the morning and Ant this is a game I can ask you about because you were there <laughs> so the, the, spirit. <laughs> spirit, the, the pitch was okay from the start wasn't it yeah, I yeah. thought. Yeah, you wouldn't. You really wouldn't have thought. The training pitch suffered, didn't it? Yeah. When we were warming up, it was a bit. Uh, but yeah, no. The um, credit to the to the relentless work of the groundsman. <laughs> no, it was. It, really, it held up well, didn't it? It was yeah. Good. Yeah, good. And again, Harry, due to sort of injury and availability, you had to make a few changes. Yeah, uh, we've seemed to have endless depth in the squad at the moment, and uh, we're certainly using all our resources. 
and um, can't remember who came in actually. Uh, Barrett what moved in the centre half, didn't he? And um, yeah. uh, Carney came back in the midfield, and we started Liam in for Nick as well. So yeah, definitely using all the squad now. But yeah, I'm really happy with them all again, to be honest. And the game started pretty, again, pretty brightly for the neutral, I guess. It was um, sort of pretty open, pretty even, and chances at both ends. Yeah, no one really took control of the game, did they? For the first, certainly the first 15, few chances. Um, I, don't, I thought both sides tried to play football, actually. I thought they, they, were, they were quite a good, a good side. They're difficult to, to break down. Um, but yeah, could have had a few goals in the first, first 15, but um, I thought our defence, again, was, was pretty solid. Uh, I think Murphs had the, the first chance as he sort of got on a through ball and, and raced away but couldn't quite finish it off. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do remember that, yeah. Poor finish. No, it's, well, it's unlike Murphs been finishing everything lately, isn't he? So we can probably forgive him. Um, yeah, well, yeah, we can forgive him until like the 90th minute. But um, yeah, no, it's, um, it's what it is, isn't it? He, you know, if he scored every chance, he'd be playing, you know, a lot, a lot higher. So we'll let him off. Okay. And... Blanford again nearly took the lead um, the, I think it was the number four went through Sam Watts managed to get something on it hit the inside of the post and bounced all the way across goal just riding our luck slightly at that point yeah I think they had four moments in the first half where it came from our mistakes to be honest a lot of indecision at the back and it was uncharacteristic of the way we've actually been playing this year there was a lot of confusion Just I think I don't know players looked a bit tired in the first half which is strange and it did lead to them having a couple of big chances and them going one up as well which was I'm struggling to remember the goal to be honest <laughs> okay so the, I think really the goal came from probably a bit of a mix up slash mistake at the back really yeah Carney didn't go to it did he <coughs> <laughs> no who's it I don't want to out their names no, Carney and Manley <laughs> they, yeah I think both just fought he just, yeah, he was going to go get it. And their, their number eight just nipped in and who could finish, actually, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it was a good finish. So, um, yeah. Okay, and then shortly afterwards, we, well, maybe not got away with, but this time we were saved. The number seven, I think, was sort of sent clean through, but Barrett came in with a, with a fantastic last-ditch tackle. Yeah, yeah, it was a great tackle. Unfortunately, that was tweaked his hamstring. That's, it. That's where he was overstretching to get there, and he just got there. But I think it came at a bit of a price, to be honest. <laughs> and half time, it was we were one nil down. Um, what did the manager tell you, Ant? Uh, complete words of wisdom. No, no, <laughs> it wasn't that bad, was it? We were just doing. I think we were just doing wrong things in wrong areas. We, we, you know, a few of us were sort of shying away from, you know, getting the ball, and mm. it just wasn't, it wasn't clicking. But then. Whatever you did say at half-time certainly worked, didn't it? We scored fairly early on. Yes, we did. So we start the second half not long in. Um, we managed to break. Ball falls to you, Ant. Do you want to talk us through it? it well, yeah, it came from like a corner. I can't remember what it was, but it, it, the ball was just sort of bouncing around the box. So I just got hold of it. Um, so I shielded it for a few seconds and then just sort of rolled it to Stobsy in it. I think it's still trickling in. <laughs> now, good, good finish, but it did he didn't break the net. No, pers- personally, I do like a, one of those finishes where it's passed into the net. That, yeah. that pleases me to watch. Yeah, it's a nice calm finish, wasn't it? Yeah. He, saw, he saw the spot and he took it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, the moment that nearly defined the game, as um, their striker said to me as, after it happened, was, well, if that had gone in, we'd have all walked off the pitch and given you the game, was uh, a Murphy overhead kick. Yeah, he's got it in him, hasn't he, Murphy? It's agility. It's, like, it's all that crossfit he does. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing, and afterwards, they, you know, it, it went inches wide, and they were appealing for a free kick. But it's like, I don't know, you can't take those sort of, you know, moves out of the game. But I, yeah, to be fair, if I'm quite glad it didn't go in in hindsight because we wouldn't have heard the last of it. I think. Okay, um, so we had to make at this point a few substitutions. Sort of injury was hit home, and yeah. more changes required. Yeah, I think. With playing midweek and then Saturday on two heavy pitches, I think it has caused a lot of injuries and players' legs are sort of struggling from it a little bit. Um, so we had to make all three subs down to injuries, I think. Like, nothing major, but a lot of them were niggles. And So, yeah, within, I think, by 60 minutes, we'd made all three subs. 
and minute, minutes after making the final substitution wasn't looking like a managerial genius at that point because <laughs> as soon as the last one was made Blanford went 2-1 up yeah another you know another poor goal really for us wasn't it what was it it was a long range shot and he got the rebound what was it yeah it was a, it was a long range shot and lost yeah and, and we just didn't react but that, that's not necessarily the defence's fault for not picking up we you know it was it was slack all round wasn't it I think they broke on us and yeah disappointing it weren't looking good at that point however uh, we did manage to get back into it sort of 15 minutes to go all of a sudden the, the substitutions are starting to look like managerial genius when Nick gets the ball and goes on a run with it yeah he was certainly lively when he came on Nick and he I think he might have been a little bit disappointed to have been dropped from the the last game so he certainly looked like a bloke who was trying to prove a point and he yeah he was dangerous from the moment he came on wasn't he and he made a lot of things happen when he came on the pitch it was good to see yeah, so he got brought down for a penalty um, did you think it was a foul Ant? Oh, I, I, I don't. It, it was clumsy, wasn't it? He was over. He was well, yeah. He was over the ball. He did win the ball, but he, he leapt up and over. So I guess letter of the law is a foul, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I couldn't quite see. I peeped him away, but I certainly heard the noises he connected with Nick. And to be fair, the linesman Ryan said to me, he said it's a correct decision. It's a brave decision to give it because he did yeah. win the ball first. But the sort of recklessness, dangerousness of the that tackle, it's a definite penalty, and he felt it was a, a good decision. So uh, up you stepped, Ant. Yeah, you haven't seen ten blokes' heads drop like that. <laughs> they all want penalties at four new up, don't they? Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I, I yeah, t- took the penalty and scored, and yeah, and, and just tried running back to the halfway line and, and get going again because we needed to win, don't we? We can't, we can't drop points now. So uh, yeah, and we plugged away without really sort of creating anything. But in the last minute, we did win a corner, and what do we do? We send up the big lads, obviously. Yeah, big John Manley just threw his body at the ball, didn't he? And I don't know if it hit his head back face. or yeah, his face. I don't know quite where it connected with, but all I remember is it just flying into the net, and that was the main thing, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and I think that obviously broke Blanford to a bit, and it sort of heads went down, really, didn't they? Yeah, and, you know, I think, well, you know, Manley may... <laughs> you know, to be honest, was... <laughs> He, he perhaps could have got a second book in, I think would be fair to say, if we're Agreed, you know, yeah. a complete fair yeah, podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then for him to go and put one top corner from a corner might have been... But, you know, brilliant. He, I thought he was brilliant again. And, um, and yeah, probably, probably sort of as a Blanford fan or whatever, you probably could have seen that coming, yeah. couldn't you? It was just the way it was going that game. I guess, to be fair, if you were... Blanford or a Blanford supporter you would feel hard done by that he was still on the pitch to score that goal yeah yeah without a doubt I think, it's, I think we were all the, the foul was just a little bit late wasn't it and the bloke went down and everyone sort of looked thinking oh god he's, he's going here and the ref for whatever reason decided not to show the yellow and and the football gods were in our favour that day weren't they because he was bound to go up and score the winner then weren't he <laughs> And then we seemed to play uh, an inordinate amount of injury time, which there was 30 seconds left at one point, and about three minutes later, Nick gets the ball. Yeah. We're all screaming at him to run to the corner just to waste time, <laughs> but he chooses not to. Yeah, well, lucky for us, Nick can hear it, can he? <laughs> <laughs> uh, everyone was saying, hold it, keep it, keep it, and he kept travelling closer and closer <laughs> into the box and then decided to pick out Murphy who was free at the back post which is obviously a great decision in the end, but <laughs> he certainly wasn't getting told to do that from everybody else <laughs> OK so again so we went 4-2 in the end and I think with it not being our best performance you've got to look at that as a very good victory Yeah it was and I think we we worked so hard as a team didn't we I thought Henry was brilliant um, yeah it's again you know not Probably not. Definitely didn't play our best, but you know, still, still come away scoring four goals and um, and, and yeah, what's, what's, what else can you do? You know, if you, you just got to carry on winning, we just got to carry on winning games. Um, and I don't think you'll care, Gibbo, how it's how it's done. No, and we've um, so we played Blanford twice in the last two weeks, and towards the end of March we've got them again in a cup semi final away again. It's going to be another tough game, isn't it? Yeah, without a doubt. I think we've had to really grind for these two wins, haven't we? And 
certainly going to take nothing for granted when we go down there because they're going to want to put it right and avenge for what has been the last two games. So I think we're not expecting it to be any easier than it has been when we go back down there again. And in terms of the the neutral, or certainly for us and Cobham, looking at a, a title challenge this year, Hamrek lost away at Balti this weekend, which sort of throws everything open, doesn't it? Crazy, isn't it? Um... Well, they were, what were they, seven points clear or something a few weeks ago? Or I don't, Yeah, it's looking, you know, I think we played merely twice now, haven't we? But we've got to play Ham Wreck again. Um, have Ham Wreck and Merley played each other twice? So, well, yeah, it's, it's, well, it's wide open now, isn't it? Um, but obviously we've still got to go away. Uh, Bolty, we've got to play, haven't we? Gillingham, there's hope this weekend. There's plenty of, there's so many tough games, yeah. Okay, so Hamrek are top of the table. They are two points uh, above us, and we are three points above Cobb, and we've all played the same amount of games, so it should be an interesting run-in. Um, this weekend, we are playing Holt away. Um, Holt's last few games are postponed this last weekend, but before that, they lost 2-0 away at Balti, which, as Hamrek lost there as well, I don't think that's a bad result. And the weekend before was a bad result, although it was Hamrek, they lost 7-0. Uh, but before that, wins over Gillingham, Corfe Castle and Shaftesbury. Holt is always a difficult game for us. They seem to have our number and Holt away will be even tougher. This is going to be a tough game and then come away with three points would be a big, big result. Yeah, I think this year they've been a bit more inconsistent than we'd all imagine Holt to be. But it doesn't matter what Holt side we face, we always find it a tough game, don't we? And we're more than expecting that this weekend because... They're, they always seem to be up for it when they play us and it's always, always a difficult team to break down and I think last last year we went there we, we had a lot of the ball we had, we felt like we dominated the game but we couldn't score and it was the same again at the home game this season wasn't it so I don't think it would be any different this weekend it's another tough game for us to go to OK, so since we lasted the podcast, the uh, reserves haven't played. Um, their matches against Corf Mullen and Allendale have been postponed due to snow and the rain, respectively. Uh, in terms of the league table for them, they now have a couple of games in hand on league leaders Mir, and they are four points behind. So they've got six points potentially to get to, and this, uh, Tisbury are a point behind them when they've played the same number of games as us. Uh, the reserves have got Cranbourne this weekend away. Uh, Cranbourne uh, on an odd, odd run of form beat Bemister uh, 2-0 last weekend. Uh, previous to that, they lost to sort of one of the teams at like the lower end, Allendale, which is a bit odd. But not too long ago, they came to Alvington and give us a good turning over, really. So uh, it's going to be a very tough game away at Cranbourne. Uh, the reserves still have 10 games to, get, uh, to play and... Um, with losing players to the sort of first team at the moment, like Steamroll Rod in the summer, and then Merce, and then Liam and Sweeter, it's it's good to see that they're managing to call up players from our youth sides as well and get them involved, and it's still going well. So so very good all round so far. Uh, the under 18s have also suffered two postponements, two postponements, but with only two league matches and a cup semi final to fit in, uh, they shouldn't really have a problem in terms of fixture congestion. Hopefully, they'll end up with four games and get to a cup final, give us all something a, a nice day out. Okay. So, that's it for our, our games. Um, we like to talk about a bit more grassroots sort of stuff. So, over the last 10 years, more or less, there's been a sort of decline in men's 11-a-side football. And this is despite a £50 million per year investment by the FA to encourage and get it to grow and come back to levels that it used to be at. Why are less people playing football, Ant? An easy question, Phil. Oh, well, <laughs> well, the, the FA are paying fifty million a year for the answer. So if you can do this, that'd be great. Uh, yeah, uh, I, don't, I think one big area of it is because of the cost of living, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, more people need to work on weekends, or, or you know, sort of value their time more. So by that, things like uh, six sides at Buckler's Meads, you know, Yeovil has what three, four G pitches three lots of leagues it's, it's a lot easier to play 40 minutes on a on a Sunday evening than it is perhaps taking up your whole Saturday to go down the hole yeah. that's what I think ok so the statistically you're spot on there um, the, the, the men's 11 aside Saturday game is drastically declining um, over the last few years there's been a reduction of about 1,200 teams which have gone which is a lot of people if you think there's 
don't know, somewhere between 11 and 15 players associated with each of those sides. That's a lot of teams just to have gone. However, things like small-sided games, small-sided leagues, five-a-sides, indoor football, futsal, walking football, disabled football, women's football, it's absolutely all on the increase. Everything else is on the increase. So is it just that people are busier and doing other things? Yeah, the world, the world changes, doesn't it? I think it's just that's the way football's evolved and... I think these small-sided mini-leagues are much more popular now, aren't they? Like you say, with work, it just accommodates people more. They don't have to give up a whole day to go away Saturday down to, like, uh, the other side of Dorset, like you say. So I think it just, it just suits family, people who've got families more now, doesn't it? Which is a shame, because 11-a-side games, the football we all know, and it's the football we all love as well, isn't it? And does it... Commitment is a thing. I mean, obviously, I know the higher up you go, perhaps the the less of an issue it is. But certainly, I know our reserves, John has suffered a bit from players going to centre parks for the weekend or going shopping with the wrists or doing up the house or, or whatever it is on a weekend. They've had players unavailable. Um, commitment on an 11 side men's game is you're asking for every Saturday pretty much for 10 months. It's a, it's a big commitment, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think. Um I mean, I don't know what, but like, I assume that there is more to do in an everyday sort of setting now than there was 30 years ago, right? Like, it's, it's now easy to, to just go away on a day trip. You know, most people sort of own your car or, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I think people just... I, I, I don't know. The enjoyment, is that gone? Is that half of it? Is... But you've got to enjoy it if, you, if you're giving up your time for effectively certainly out of for, for nothing uh, realistically you, you've got to get some sort of enjoyment out of it one way or the other and um, is if you're not enjoying it then obviously you're, not, you're probably less committed to anything you, you do but is is the fact that like you say you go back years ago when I was first started playing well you played football or what else did you do with your Saturday now is, there's also another whole range of options which didn't exist 20 years ago yeah, it's hard to hit the nail on the head with it, really, isn't it? And I think that's why the FA spending £50 million a year, but it's not like the FA to be out of touch with what people want a grassroots football, is it, to be honest? <laughs> no, to be honest with you, if, if they give us £50 million a year, I could probably do them a PowerPoint on it yeah. in, in about 20 minutes, but, <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> they don't seem to do it. So the FA are spending £50 million a year to try and deflect this growth and, uh, or to increase the growth in football they try to add about 8,000 referees which they achieved roughly 4,000 uh, they try to add or increase to about 200 men's teams and they ended up losing about 1,200 so it's not going that well um, however like I said if you take the overall picture of the small sided stuff and, and all the rest of it with the increase in Astros like you say smaller sided leagues are there overall it is actually slightly increasing um, it's just that people's focus is in other areas and it seems like the places like the small-sided games where it's less commitment and there's no training and maybe it's once a week once a fortnight they're thriving so it seems like people's time is mm. is what's stopping them maybe um yeah, I, don't, I don't know <laughs> I, don't, I think um sorry i was just watching the ajax game there and they just scored so completely completely throw me with that question <laughs> um yeah i think like you say people's time has is more taken up with other things now on it I think I don't know commitment's such a difficult thing because when we all started football for me at the start of the season when you you said you played for a team that's you committed you commit every Saturday and it just seems to be that the thought of that now is completely gone and I think people almost just do it as their second option like if they haven't got if they haven't got something on at the weekend they'll just play football instead which it's just a shame that it has swung completely I think in our side not so much but our side's probably the bottom end of that sort of thought process I think if you go any lower than us then people don't take it seriously and they don't have that commitment which is a big shame because even in the Oval League probably 10 years ago everyone was committed there weren't they and they would if that Premier League division would probably train once a week and they'd all they all wouldn't miss a game but you can see by the numbers of that, that the Oval League now that there's not even a Sunday league for starters and then the Premier League's gone down to nine teams I think it is this year and it's like only three leagues in total when I think you go back 15 years ago you had the Prem division and 
four divisions below it with at least 10 to 12 teams plus. I think maybe more than 12 in each league. So that just shows you how, how much it has sort of gone away a little bit. OK, and is our, some of the things that the FA does actually disrupting um, 11 men or this level of football? Because some of the hoops that we have to jump through, obviously we have to be a charter standard club, which yeah. means, you know, pretty much every member of our team, and we've got obviously first team reserves, under 18s, 16s, 15s, then I lose track, but we've got stuff all the way down to like under 7s, about 12 or 13 or 10 youth sides along the way. And people associated with every side have to do their first aid, FA first aid course. It has to be an FA one. They have to do the FA safeguard, child safeguarding. They have to do the FA child welfare course. They have to do the um, first, uh, they have to do the level one coaching qualification. They've got to do a CRC check. Every single one of these things takes up their time, their, or in most cases, the club's money. Is it that clubs don't have the money to put people through this? People don't have the time to give up to all these courses? In some, like our club, we pay for people to do it, but in other clubs they don't, so people are being asked to pay their own thing. You're asking for people's time and people's money just so they can have a hobby. I mean, and, and do they want it, and they're deciding that it's not worth the bother. Well, yeah, it's that in a nutshell, isn't it? If you, you know... <laughs> The majority of people that play football are just doing it just to have a kick about and a laugh, aren't they? So, you know, is is do, going through all that does that outweigh the benefits from playing on a on a Saturday afternoon? Probably not. And and yeah, it isn't it isn't easy to do. Although I get it, all the safeguarding it, it's got to be done. It's like it's, it this is, although it's introduced the right reasons, but is the impact on it is the overall negative possibly? Probably, yeah. I think so, in the simplest answer. Um, and maybe it can be, like, particularly like the higher up you go, then it's more and more understandable, but does it need to be rolled back for the lower down you go and at grassroots and like at you know, district level and the overall district league? Do, do they need to be doing all of this stuff? Is it, is it yeah. really necessary? I mean, it's where do you draw the line, really, isn't it? I think what bugs me is that you have to renew all these checks every two years and then you sort of you're looking at like the, the first aid course like you could be a qualified doctor but unless you've got the FA first aid course you, you that doesn't <laughs> count and you're like well, how's that surely there has to be some sort of like leeway with people in there if, if, you know. the same with CRCs if you're a qualified teacher and your CRC is, is like immac- you know the, the level of checks they do on you there is incredible but you've still got to do the FA one for football yeah, too um, wing back Yang Vertonghen is just a stroke Spurs 2 0 up. But going back to the question, Harry. What was the question? Is <laughs> <laughs> Yang Vertonghen all that? Absolute clubman. Yeah, okay, I can't even remember. <laughs> um, so, but they have done. So to, to increase, I mean, that's, that's the other thing. So, you know, a rule not too long ago was that you've got to be 16 to play men's football and you've got to. Um, be able to prove that you have a committee of at least four people holding four different roles where if you're running a village side and you're relying on families and you know who play and their kids coming through and play and all of a sudden you're not allowed to play for 16 some of them are playing at 14 15 and that again reduces the number of players you've got and a lot of those clubs are one-man bands and all of a sudden you you say no there's got to be four of you well all of a sudden it doesn't function and it's just another it's just another reason why clubs will fold is it more right in saying that on the committee as well that even the secretary's got to get a CRC check? Um, not anymore. We did a while ago, but no, we don't have to. In fact, the FA have gone the other way where I tried to... Mine ran out a couple of weeks ago. I tried to renew it via the FA and they told me they no longer supported my application because the role was unnecessary for it, even though it's chairman, which I felt was... Which I felt was incorrect because theoretically you're making decisions on behalf of children. So I felt that I should have one. I tried to do it anyway because I should have one. And they were like, no, no, you can't have it. (laughs) So it's just weird. Yeah, it's odd odd decision making again from the FA really, isn't it? But like like, all all these small clubs are just crying out for people to help. And like people have got full-time jobs, you know, they've got families. They, They haven't got time to do all these like constant checks and all this 
which a lot of the time just seems like money-making schemes from the FA, though, doesn't it? And from I know it probably isn't, but the way we look at it is like they're just squeezing more and more out of people and almost forcing people away from football. It feels like all these um, all these decisions get made in the head office, right? Which they have really not saying no idea, but they don't really know what what it takes to run, let's say, a club like Oddcombe or you know the people the catchment area they, they don't understand that you can't have it's not it's, it's difficult to get all these bodies on board just to, just to meet some sort of paperwork basically um, yeah okay so if, if men's sides are reducing um, and certainly the FA previously have looked at and certainly when Trevor Brooklyn was there they sort of said no we've got to build from the bottom this is the way we produce the players of the future is the fact that teams are getting less, less people are playing, does it mean that we're not going to produce the, the level of talent that we have done in the past? What, in, in terms of Western, sorry? Or no, in think? terms of football overall, are we still going to produce the same number of good players or is this going to make uh, stuff at the top level suffer? Yeah, it's, it's hard to see in it because I think they are putting so much more money into academies now and the elite level coaching just seems to be getting bigger and bigger. I think that's the problem. The gulf between the two just seems to be completely different now. And you haven't got like the, the Jamie Vardy story is probably as close as you're going to get to like a complete nobody in like the non-league sort of floating around, then going up through the ranks without yeah. being part of the academy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, without somebody sort of uh, you know that's the sort of as close as you'll get to one of those stories. But I can't imagine that there'll be people knocking around in non-leagues now or like lower levels that you know genuinely should be in that higher level do you know what I mean so Spurs go 3-0 up and probably clinch the tie um, you mentioned academies there that, that sort of brings us on to academies really they are taking players very very young younger and younger all the time now at the moment and they take players on you don't get that much football they stop you playing in the local side which is reducing youth football but they stop you playing with your school, tie, your school team is it do they start in academies too young? Let's do that as the first question. Yeah, I think they, I think they stop children being children. Mm. And like, oh, like, as an eight-year-old, you, what you're good at football, so you get, you get, you know, offered the chance to, I don't know, go play at like Yeovil, but then you're all of a sudden not allowed to go play with, with your mates on the set. You know, he's eight, they're eight years old. They just want to just let them go out and carry on loving the game because uh, things like that. If they, you know. How many times do you reckon it's happened where they, they don't enjoy not playing with their friends and it, it pushes them against football, it makes them almost resent it? I think, I think, um, I was speaking to someone and their kids at Yeovil, and it's like they've almost got like things like, like eat, sort of like diets as well, proposed diets in place. And you just, I, it, it, I don't know. So, by, by stopping you playing with your friends and your local teams and stopping them from playing for your school and just doing what they're doing I mean surely the best thing for any youngster is just to play more football rather than less mm-hmm. don't know if they stopped me playing with my friends it might work out a bit better for me <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah I think that's the thing surely at any any level just co- constantly playing football is better than anything surely and you think like you, you're losing that natural talent and that natural desire that when you're youngsters, you don't care, you just want to have fun and like enjoy it. And winning was always important to me when I was younger because when I just got, I just wanted to win at everything I did. But you sort of, you just, you just suck that sort of that natural talent out of the kid. It almost feels like, doesn't it? You just, those all, na- there's, I don't know, there's traits that they pick up. It's probably what they're worried about, aren't they? And like players, kids do pick up bad traits, but at seven, eight years old, by the time they get to sixteen, you can certainly get rid of them, can't you? So there's no point in. Don't know, forcing it upon him, I suppose. Okay, so I heard um, Gordon Strachan do a, an interview, and his son is at an academy. Can't remember, I can't remember which club, but he's at an academy. So he's restricted in what he can do, and they monitor everything. They take videos of games, and he sort of went with him for a week at a game, and he had very limited he had sessions at training. He had a game where he was stuck in a position. He didn't sort of get a lot of touches during the game. And he said he took him home day and he stuck him in his garage and inside of his garage, gave him a football and said, right, left foot, right foot, one touch, off a ball, do it for half an hour. And he got more touches in that half an hour than he had about three weeks playing in this academy. 
Is it, and there bearing in mind that you then couldn't play for school or local teams, is it any wonder that people come out of academies disillusioned and does that mean that we probably lose them from the game completely? Yeah, definitely. They just, yeah, like, like anything, they end up resenting football. They associate football with something they don't enjoy, so they just stop, like any of us would. If we didn't, if you don't enjoy something, you stop doing it. I mean, excluding work, where you get some sort of financial benefit, but do you know what I mean? It's, I mean, it's just a simple, a simple case of that, and that day, I, I wouldn't know because I've never been at an academy, but you know, especially at that age, you, you you become something that the academy wants. So it sort of takes away that any sort of individuality you have about yourself. It's no, this is what you, you know. I know you can advise and stuff, but for it, to, I don't know what you. I think I, I personally think it sort of takes away from you as a person. And big clubs, they just literally stockpile anyone from a young age don't they there's no it's more the casting out wide approach rather than the, the select few and people end up just falling out of love with the game don't they I think the sad thing is with the bigger clubs they, they literally work on the percentage that 5% will come through and be elite players and they don't do enough for the, the, the 50% plus that probably fall by the wayside and actually end up going nowhere and you almost think they should put some sort of educational programme in with it shouldn't they where they do more for kids that you know there's, there's no guarantees in football but I think that all the clubs care about is the ones they can make the money out of if you later on live and that 5% that do go through they sort of they, they literally put all their sort of eggs into that, that basket and they don't really care what happens to them after football do they which is a bit of a shame So in, in Holland clubs at the, the elite level it is an obligation for them that they find if a player they release a player they decide he's not good enough it's an obligation that they have to find them at the very least an amateur club of a decent level to go to would that would that help or are they already lost to it by then do you think well I think if you, as long, if you were to give the option at least right and then, and then it's up to the player if they don't they're like nah actually um, don't worry about finding me a club I'm going to pursue other things then that's fine but I definitely think having the option would, would it can only be a good thing, right? Yeah. Okay, so I think overall we think it's uh, there's, a, there's a lot of reasons why men's football's declining. It's down to FA regulations, it's down to people's time, it's down to the top level clubs and academies, not just at top level, but all the way down to well, League Two because we've, we've got a local one and we know what sort of happens there. Um, it leaves people disillusioned and not wanting to come back into the game. So the FA are spending 50 million a year what should they actually spend that money on to make it better for people Jesus more I mean more facilities, facilities more yeah. pitches that was going to be the yeah, first thing, yeah facilities isn't it and then I think that is just completely the main thing when was the last time in any sort of area do you hear of any local pitches being made that were for, for the community do you know what I mean there's no there's no input of money like that into grassroots football whatsoever really yeah, without a doubt. I think that's half the reason why people go and play on three Gs. Mm. You know, we'd rather play forty minutes on a flat surface. You know, doesn't matter if it's raining, whatever the weather. It's gonna, it's just gonna be older. Not gonna get muddy. You, do you know what I mean? Or you're gonna go play up. You know, I don't know, Johnson's Park, a bit boggy, bobbly old pitch. People aren't interested. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but pump it into pump it into pitches or, or like. Or let us have our pitch back. It's that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you take it's true though. Like you have all taken away the second best pitch apart from the one at Hewish Park away from us, and it's what, you know what the grassroots sort of have. Yeah, I mean, it didn't help when professional clubs are doing their bit to hurt grassroots clubs like ourselves. Obviously, we went down to to five clubs to two from five teams to two when they did that tourism. We built back up slowly, but it's not helping. So let's not get too far into that otherwise we'll be here all night okay so um, over the weekend there was a big game in the Premier League um, Man City appeared to have beaten Chelsea 6-0 um, I'm going to leave all the questions that I had to you about it but I am going to ask you one so Hazard right he's rumoured to be linked with Madrid fairly frequently he's in his peak if you were Real Madrid would you be going for Hazard or would you be trying to buy Raheem Sterling I'd still go for Hazard, probably more achievable in terms of how much it would cost. I don't think you'd get Sterling for under 
something million and I think Madrid wouldn't be interested in that would they and I don't think Man City would be interested in getting bullied by another club would they so it's probably not a realistic target for them so they wouldn't go for them possibly not I, I completely accept that about Hazard being more realistic but as of yet it's interesting that obviously while City have been on the rise and it's been going well they've not been tested by a big club or a bid or a player wanting to go somewhere else if Real Madrid come in for it or Barcelona or someone of whoever it is and they come in for a Sterling or a De Bruyne or whoever it is they've not been tested do you think those those clubs still have a law from like City players or do we think City are better than now and they want to stay yeah I think I think City is the club to be at really you've got such an exciting young squad probably the best manager in the world I, I uh, yeah, I think. I, 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 think, I don't think anyone's going to tackle them, are they? Because in terms of like, the, the bottomless money pit they've got, why would anyone want to get into a battle with that? And it just end up going back and forth, and then a player will end up on a million pound a week before you know it. And they'll, they, they probably would pay it, because they just, it just seems to be no end to what sort of financial resources they've got, to be honest. OK, so in a week's time, they play each other again, but this time in the League Cup final. We'd seen Chelsea this year. They've been very, well hit or miss let's be honest about it they've been very good on occasion and very poor on occasion they're going to turn up for a cup final they're right. who cares Mickey Mouse Mickey Mouse cup mate isn't it? <laughs> it's all about Champions League now Phil come on <laughs> ok in a word then who's going to win the League Cup final <laughs> Man City that's, that's two words but I'll give you it <laughs> City ok give you both that ok so also the weekend then uh, Jamie Vardy penalty did Leicester learn like nothing from Mitrovic the other week? I missed it. What happened? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Leicester got awarded a penalty. J- Jamie Vardy was literally on the sideline, about to come on a sub. They won a penalty while he was waiting to come on. He came on the pitch, took the ball off Madison to take a penalty, and missed. <laughs> yeah. And I, actually, I saw it. I can't remember what celebrity tweeted. It may have been uh, may have been Lineker tweeted about it being a difficult thing and. I, it, I know you can give it the whole, you know, he's a professional footballer, 12 years out, but that is a weird thing just to come on and do, isn't it? A straight off penalty. I th- yeah, I mean, let's, let's be clear, they didn't bring him on specifically to take the penalty. He was already coming on, and that was the first opportunity to make the substitution directly after the penalty. It's, so it, it's it, a pressure scenario, isn't it? Yeah. Like, even though you say, yeah, you get paid £100,000 a week to kick a ball. Yeah, but that is a pr- pressure scenario. As soon as you come on, you've instantly got to adapt to the, the surroundings, haven't you? And just yeah. go. To, to, to come on and be cool enough to take it no I don't think I don't think it's if, if we you know and we you, we went at Mitrovic for, uh, and Kamara for not being professional but then Vardy Mitrovic is, came on the week after didn't he and yeah. to very miss but, yeah. but if, if Vardy is the penalty taker and at the time of the penalty he is on the pitch yeah. that, then and Madison handed it over so yeah, yeah it's just one of those things so. and I think Lineker's if you listen to the podcast Lineker does with Danny Baker his, his point on the whole penalty thing was it's not that he shouldn't have taken it it's just that him coming on directly straight after his warm up sort of it's not quite the same it increases the pressure a little bit because he's taking it immediately after he comes on everyone's expectant the fact that he's when you do a warm you know you might get a penalty in the first minute of a game but when you in the first minute of the game you've just done the warm up and there's a lot of ball in there when you're a sub you've just been running up and down the touchline a little bit so you've not had a touch of the ball for like the last hour or more potentially and just every little thing it, it doesn't mean it's he's definitely going to miss but he's, like he says it, if you've got an 8 out of chance 8 out of 10 chance of scoring a penalty all those little things probably make it a 6 out of 10 chance and that's how it came to be so anyway there we go um, Harry one for you then at the minute we say uh, Spurs are sort of the third team in a two-horse race for the title. I mean, they're two points behind and definitely still in it. Yeah. And as we said to you, that this is a big if, obviously. Um, Man United play Liverpool in about a week and a bit's time, week and a half's time. If Man United win, the title is in Spurs' hands. How do you feel about that? <laughs> yeah, we've got to go to City and go to Liverpool. Easy, isn't it? Win those games, you win the league, lads. <laughs> Simple as that. <laughs> Don't worry about the other nine games or whatever you've got left. But, yeah, so it's a lot, long way to go, yeah. And I think with Spurs' injuries they've had at the moment, the fact they're even in contention is quite remarkable. So, we'll see what happens, Phil. We'll see what happens when big games away from home. We've not been... Uh, 
familiar with winning, so we'll see if we win those, who knows. Okay, and at the weekend also, um, Marco Silva took his Everton side and returned to Watford, uh, which obviously they lost. And we talked about Marco Silva in the past on these pods, so we're not going to dwell on that. However, the pre-match playlist from Watford included Since You've Been Gone, (laughs) Respect, Go Your Own Way, Cry Me a River, and Snake. Do you think this is any sort of comment on the manager? (laughs) Is there there a song called Fraud? He's not... I have no idea how this man keeps getting jobs. Uh, Yeah, he's... Watford, good start. Yeah, he's just... Everton deserve it I'm sorry like they you know they tried getting him last year it all messed up he then he got sacked from Watford right and then they still hire it I just yeah, he's. I'm glad. I don't like the man. I like that from Watford, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was a tweet that went out as well with, um, about uh, Watford sacking Silver, wasn't there? And then Lineker tweeted saying, like, like careful of what, what comes around or something. And then they just tweeted, like, showing Everton's position and their position. And so, like, with, with like, obviously Silver and, like, sort of trolling them again, it's all basically. Cheap, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okay, then, just to finish with, I'm going to ask you both a random question. Um, this, is, <laughs> this is sort of leading on from... <laughs> on our, when we were sort of having a minibus to away games last season and we had a nice sponsor for that, which we were very thankful for, um, there was always a, a question which sort of came around, which is certainly not clean enough to ask on this podcast. Um, but, so I've got you a slightly different version, and we, we don't want to dwell on that question. So... Either of you can answer this first. You don't have to reveal your workings, but you can do if you like. So I'm going to start with you, Ant. What's the biggest animal that you could single-handedly cling film to a lamppost? <laughs> Hypothetically, <laughs> no. In real- is, this a, is there a factual answer to this? No, this is hypothetical. Of course, it's hypothetical. Oh, How- <laughs> ah, blue whale. How many? This is okay. Obviously, hypothetically, how many blue whales hang around near lampposts? Well, the one I've got. There's got to be a few in Iceland, doesn't there? Harry, have you got any ideas? Yeah, probably something more like a cat. Fair enough. Ridiculous. I mean, I was thinking maybe something more of like a sloth because they wouldn't move very quick, and you'd be round two or three times before they recover. Any sloths around there? (laughs) The blue whale population outweighs. (laughs) I mean, if a blue whale was by a lamppost, it probably wouldn't be moving very quickly. (laughs) So you've got the time to do it. Although it's a long lap. Uh, A blue uh, is it? A blue whale's heart is the size of a Volkswagen Beetle. Don't know. There you go. Ball pond. Volkswagen Beetle was designed on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A, a baby can crawl through its aorta, the part of its heart. Mm, there you, there go. you go. The Iceland Museum, the Whale Museum, was <laughs> worth it now, wasn't it? Okay, so somehow, in, despite all your all your opinions, it turns out that this podcast is slightly ed- educational as well. Who knew? Anyway, thank you all for listening. You can catch our episodes on Apple, Google and Spotify and anywhere else you can find your podcast. Please, please subscribe and give us a nice rating as well. We'd love for you to get in touch. Use the hashtag WFCPod uh, on Twitter or contact us via Facebook, our social media. Our contact details are online on our website. I'd like to thank Ant Heron and Harry Gibbs for their time this evening and wish the best of luck to all our sides this weekend. Thanks for listening.